This is Orson Welles, and I have taken control as to bring you this special show, and will return it to you as soon as you are grooving. We know now that since the secret of B-Funk was placed inside the pyramids 5,000 years ago, this world was being watched closely by intelligences funkier than humankind. With infinite complacence, people went to and fro, bidding themselves over and above nature, and thereby incurring the bummer of the placebo syndrome. But in the 75th year of the 20th century came the mothership. This is Discord and Rhyme. Everybody, welcome to Discord and Rhyme, a podcast where we discuss our favorite albums song by song. We are on Twitter at twitter.com slash discordpod, and you can find our episode archive and complete show notes at discordpod.com. I am Amanda Rogers, and I'm here with... Rich Bennell, Mike DeFabio, and Ben Marlin. This week, I want to start out by thanking our newest Patreon donors, Tom and John. Thank you so much, you guys, for your generosity. We are extremely grateful. And if the rest of you like what you hear and you want to throw some change into the tip jar, just head on over to patreon.com slash discord pod. And while you're on the internet, go ahead and rate us or write a review on iTunes. We would absolutely love that. Now, our host for this week is Mike. What album are we doing today? As if the name of it wasn't right there in the episode title. <laughs> well, I hope you're all feeling funky tonight, because tonight we're going to be talking about Mothership Connection by Parliament. Oh, I don't know about these guys, but I am feeling extremely funky. <laughs> so why are we doing that album today? I, too, am feeling funky. <laughs> Good. I picked Mothership Connection because Phil was already doing Maggot Brain, and I thought it would be a good idea for us to cover both sides of the whole Parla Funkadelic Mint thang. And I'm honestly much more of a Funkadelic fan myself, but I do think this album is a, a real funk masterpiece. And it's such a historically important and influential work that you could probably write a whole PhD dissertation on it before you ever got to the bottom of it. And I'm not going to try to do that here because... Why not? Because I'd be way out of my depth, but Aww. also because I, th I think the main thing that makes Mothership Connection such an enduring classic is just how much fun it is to listen to. If this album doesn't make your day at least a tiny bit better, you need to play it again. <laughs> That's a really good way to put that. <laughs> now, how did you first find out about Mothership Connection? How long has it been making your days better? Oh, I first boarded the Mothership around 2000 or so. It was late high school when I decided I needed to get into funk. And Parliament were one of the first groups to really grab my attention because they were just so zany and cosmic. And they had all these songs about the awesome power of the funk. And they had their own incredibly convoluted mythology with a huge cast of recurring characters. And I was really into Frank Zappa at the time, so that sort of thing really appealed to me. So Mothership Connection was one of the first funk albums I ever bought, 
and it's a, a huge favorite of mine to this day. All right. What about you, Rich? Oh, man, I'm excited I get to talk this time. Uh, I first got the funk literally the first day I arrived at UC Berkeley for my uh, freshman orientation, which was called Calso, uh, which is funny. It's like Calso. Um, anyway, I bought it from Rasputin Records on Telegraph Avenue on the walk up the hill from BART to my temporary dorm room. Um, I wasn't aware of Amoeba Music yet, which is right down the street and much better, as Mike can attest. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I got Mothership Connection there, and I quickly picked up Parliament's other classic albums with haste. And uh, personally, have always generally skewed more uh, in the Parliament direction in the years since, as somebody who likes, uh, I don't know, things that are more like colorful and dancey. Uh, that's kind of more my thing. All right. How about you, Ben? I'm a parliamentarian like Rich, uh, although I respect the Funkadelicers out there. Um, like everything else, I discovered Parliament from Wilson and Allroy's record reviews. And then from there, the Mother Page website. Uh, I discussed both of those in the Funkadelic episode. At first, as much as I listened to Parliament, I didn't get it. It, it was just too crowded. It was too freaky for me. Uh, it, it was too much. And But I kept trying because people whose tastes I, I really trusted loved the album, and I wanted to love it too, but I, I just didn't get it. Interestingly and frustratingly, my dad got it right away. I played it for him in the car, and he thought it was a lot of fun, and that's about as uncool as I've ever felt in my life. But I kept listening, and it all began to make more sense to me, and eventually the best Parliament albums became some of my favorite music ever. And I, I think Mike nailed it when he just said that it's just fun. It's it's a lot more than just fun, but the funness is essential to the whole appeal. Well, in stark contrast to you guys, uh, the the role of the doofus noob will be played this evening by Amanda Rogers. Uh, I you know I always kind of thought that I didn't really like funk, and so I never paid all that much attention to it, just beyond what's in the cultural ether. But I've recently realized, <sighs> all right. I know exactly how you guys are going to react when I say this, and I'm a little afraid. But it's just that I don't really like James Brown. <gasps> I know. I mean, if Phil were here, then um, well, <laughs> he, he would probably be really nice to you, but um, <laughs> in a very firm and assertive way. He would. I was kind of expecting to be fired on the spot. Um, so I think this is very similar Honestly, to my experience with industrial music, you know, I thought I didn't like that either, but it turned out I just don't like Skinny Puppy. So I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure how I got onto this episode. I think I was just tapped in way back in the early planning stages, and I wasn't really sure about this. Um, but these funkified friends of mine were absolutely right, and this album just blew my mind. So I, I really don't know how likely I am to start diving into the genre as a whole, but Mothership Connection is a winner. Now, this Parla Funkadelicment thing, how did that lead up to Mothership Connection? So Phil went over a lot of this in the Maggot Brain episode, but in case you haven't listened to that one yet or you need some refreshing, Parliament started out as a doo-wop vocal group called The Parliaments, formed by George Clinton in Plainfield, New Jersey back in the 50s, and they later relocated to Detroit. They had some local popularity, but they didn't really have a big hit single until 1967 when they released a song called I Want to Testify. After which, Clinton put a backing band together called Funkadelic in order to take the group on the road. 
Around the same time, he lost the rights to the name of the parliaments because of record label nonsense. So Funkadelic just sort of absorbed all the members of the parliaments and became one big 10-piece band. But then, in 1970, Clinton reformed the parliaments under the name Parliament with the same 10 members as Funkadelic. So he was now in charge of two different bands with the same people in both of them. The first Parliament album was called Osmium, and it was released uh, that same year. And it sounded a lot like the sort of thing Funkadelic were doing at the time. Uh, but for the next few years, George Clinton was mostly focused on Funkadelic because there were more contractual issues involving the Parliament name. So, the next time anybody heard from Parliament was in 1974 when they released the album Up for the Downstroke. That was really what established Parliament as its own separate entity, even though it was still the same musicians as Funkadelic. They had just signed with the more dance-oriented label Casablanca, and they were presenting a much more straightforward, danceable uh, flavor of funk than the far-out freakiness that Funkadelic were putting out there. Okay, Mike, I'm really sorry. Can I interrupt for just a second? Yes. Um, Can you just help me understand the difference between Parliament and Funkadelic? So they're the same people— Yes. But I guess the two entities were playing slightly different varieties of funk. So one part got assigned to Parliament and the other style got assigned to Funkadelic? That's how it ended up going. Well, I think in, originally it was Parliament was the singing group and Funkadelic was the band. And oh, okay. Yeah. Like after a certain point, Parliament Funkadelic uh, or P-Funk was just a single entity of a bunch of musicians that would release Parliament albums when they were more dancey and they had horns, and funk mm-hmm. and they would be Funkadelic albums when they were more guitar-heavy and psychedelic. Okay, because up until now, when I heard people talk about this group of musicians, it was always Parliament Funkadelic. I, yeah. Like, I'd never heard them separated before. Yeah, and whenever they toured, it was always, you know, it was always as Parliament Funkadelic or a Parla Funkadelic thing. <laughs> so... <laughs> And as time went on, I think there was more and more overlap between the two until it was just kind of all one unit again. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Most of the famous albums and songs are by Parliament, which simplifies things. Yeah, they really had all the hits, or the majority of them anyway. Okay, well, that that sort of makes sense. (laughs) All right. So after releasing their next album, Chocolate City, in 1975, uh, that was when things really started to get interesting. The more mundane version of how Mothership Connection came into being is that George Clinton was really into science fiction, but he noticed that you didn't really see a whole lot of black people on spaceships. Like he had Uhura, but that was that was pretty much it. And he wanted to change that, so he decided to do this sort of concept album set in space. But the more interesting story to me 
is that around the same time, George Clinton and Bootsy Collins had an extraterrestrial encounter. I know. That is always more interesting. (laughs) Yes. And according to George Clinton, while they were driving from Toronto to Detroit, the two of them saw a strange light coming out of the sky and bouncing from one side of the street to the other. And when the light hit their car, all the street lights went out and the light slid off the car like mercury. It was then that Clinton turned to Collins and said, Bootsy, you better step on it. Clinton maintains that neither of them were high at the time. <laughs> the last time that ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been so close to having a similar experience on my drives between Toronto and Detroit because there's a big stretch of highway on Highway 402 where there are just these dozens and dozens of giant terrifying windmills. There's a lot of wind power that's generated there, and they are the freakiest damn things I've ever seen. And I've always been convinced that they're all signaling to the mothership, and we're all going to get abducted (laughs) at any point when we drive through those windmills. So I'll bet you anything it was on that same stretch of highway. That's funny. When I drive to Ontario, I think, oh, look at those wonderful windmills, renewable energy. That's so different from from fracking. Like we do in America. I approve in theory, but they scare the living daylights out of me in practice. All right. So, what does Mothership Connection actually sound like? Well, like the two Parliament albums before it, it's much tighter and a lot less out to mess with your mind than what Funkadelic had been doing. But it's not tight in any kind of rigid way. The music slides all over the place, but everyone's still perfectly together. Perhaps in much the same way that Mercury Light might slide off a car. Ah? <laughs> ah? Uh, uh? Whoa. <laughs> Far so, out, man. Uh, apart from George Clinton's whole far-out space concept, the defining features of this album are Bootsy Collins' bass, with its distinctive rubbery sound, uh, new drummer Jerome Bigfoot Braley, with his ability to give each song a propulsive groove without ever sounding like he's hitting the drums particularly hard, uh, a horn section featuring Fred Wesley and Maceo Parker of James Brown's JBs, and Michael and Randy Brecker of the Brecker Brothers. And perhaps most importantly... We have Bernie Worrell, who on this album plays Mini Moog, Wurlitzer Electric Piano, ARP Pro Soloist and String Ensemble, RMI Electra Piano, Hammond Organ, Grand Piano, Fender Rhodes, and Clavinet. And if that wall of keyboards sounds like uh, more the sort of setup you'd expect to see somebody like Rick Wakeman playing, well, there's a reason for that. You see, a realization came to me recently about this music, and you're not going to believe it, but I am absolutely convinced of it. George Clinton turned funk into the American equivalent of prog rock. No, wait, hear me out! Discord and Rhyme is experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Give me the microphone! I'm serious! There's not a perfect one-to-one correlation, but the similarities are unmistakable. You have epic sci-fi concepts spanning multiple albums, incredibly tight musicianship, innovative use of synthesizers, highly elaborate stage productions. It's all there. The fun? What about the fun? Prog rock is fun, Ben. That's there in prog, Ben. (laughs) Have you not heard the Gates of Delirium? (laughs) Funk has at least as much fun in it as prog rock. And if you don't believe me, George Clinton has more or less confirmed this himself. I mean, this is pretty much a direct quote that the whole reason he brought 
Bernie Worrell on board was that he wanted someone with conservatory training who could help them compete with the likes of Jethro Tull and King Crimson. So, like it or not, the matter has been settled. P-Funk is Prague. Don't at me. I don't like this album anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna back you up on that, um, Mike. With some of the interviews I read with George Clinton, like uh, so. So when George Clinton first moved to Detroit, weirdly enough, it actually moved him away from doing Motown style music uh, and more in the direction of rock and roll. Like he first heard Day Tripper in Detroit, and it blew his mind. Um, and he was particularly impressed by the Small Faces. Ten years after, and wait for it, Jethro Tull. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, uh, they had a. He was into rock and roll, and their agent um, booked them with a lot of rock acts like the MC5, uh, and Iggy Pop, Ted Nugent, uh, make of that what you will. <laughs> but basically, like, that's that was part of what set Clinton off in this direction. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I just read today that uh, the first time. What introduced uh, Bernie Worrell to the, the Moog synthesizer was uh, seeing Keith Emerson playing it. So. Wow. But yeah. did he stab it? <laughs> I don't think he ever stabbed it. Ah. Well, he was pretty good at it, even without stabbing it. He got away with it. <laughs> now, I, I have to ask, even though I am certain that Phil has already asked this, is Bernie Worrell any relation to Ernest P? I wish Phil were here because he yeah. would probably be able to clear that up. He's our resident <laughs> Ernest expert. It's yeah. true. I think he's a third cousin twice removed from Vern. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that makes sense because you know what a funky guy that Vern was <laughs> it's true anyhow why don't we get moving on the first of a whole bunch of songs with absolutely spectacular titles this first one is P-Funk wants to get funked up a good evening uh, do not attempt to adjust your radio there is nothing wrong we have taken control as to bring you this special show we will return it to you as soon as you are grooving a welcome to station W-E-F-U-N-K, better known as We Funk, or deeper still, the Mothership Connection, home of the extraterrestrial brothers, dealers of funky music, P-Funk, uncut funk, the bomb. Coming to you directly from the Mothership, top of the chocolate Milky Way, 500,000 kilowatts of P-Funk power. So kick back, dig, while we do it to you in your eardrums. For oh, me, I'm known as Lollipop Man, alias the long-haired sucker. My motto is... Make mine the people. I'm on my funk uncut. Yeah, make my funk the people. I want to get funked up. Now, this is what I want y'all to do. So the first thing we hear from this new P-Funk universe is not some grand cosmic introduction, although we'd get one of those on the next album, but a greeting from a friendly DJ. Except that this DJ is broadcasting not from any mere terrestrial radio station, but from a spaceship. The, I <laughs> the idea that funk, or more precisely, the funk, having its origins in outer space is something George Clinton was playing around with on the very first Funkadelic album, on the very first uh, Funkadelic song. But this is the first song where he starts to really break it down. And we learn that the funk is not only a delightful form of music, but a powerful cosmic force with metaphysical properties. Uh, during one particularly memorable segment, uh, DJ Lollipop Man enjoins the listener to place any ailing parts of their bodies directly on the radio to be healed, televangelist style. 
because funk not only moves, it can remove. <laughs> and I can't speak to this music's ability to cure your arthritis, rheumatism, or migraines, but it's bound to make you feel at least a little better than you were before. Like, in that clip we just heard, when the chorus hit, was that not one of the best moments of your life? <laughs> it sure was. And it happens several times. So one musical aspect I'd like to single out here is this new bass sound that Bootsy Collins has going on. Bootsy was already just about the funkiest bass player alive, uh, but on this album he started playing through a Mutron envelope filter, and that turned his bass sound into this great big cosmic bwomp that sometimes sounds more like one of Bernie Worrell's synthesizers than a bass. And it's also not all that different from the sort of sound Chris Squire would be using on Yes's Tormato. So, Producer Mike, since you're right here, what the heck is an envelope filter? I think the easiest way to describe it would be sort of like an automatic wah-wah pedal. It's a, a filter. It's a low-pass filter that senses when a sound is coming through and then opens up to let more of the sound through. So, depending on how you have it set, it can make like a bow, or if you change the attack, it can be more like a wow. Hmm. Yeah. That's how they did that. Okay. Yeah. So one other important thing that I haven't mentioned yet, uh, this album has been sampled out the Grand Wazoo and is really the basis of the entire subgenre of hip-hop known as G-Funk. Uh, according to whosampled.com, this song has been sampled 30 times, and a lot of those are really just instances of somebody saying, THE BOMB, which I guess counts as an interpolation. But here are a few of the more interesting ones. Da Funk by Redman. <laughs> Make my funk the P-Funk We thought lyrics the bounce Don't Get Close by Tone Loke Don't Get Close Don't Get Close Fire from the flame from the depths of hell When I grip the microphone Sunny Meadows by Del the Funky Homo Sapien Out of My Life by Paris. Dirty Mac by Ice Cube. Dirty Mac. High Priest of Turbulence by Terminator X. Say Hi to the Bad Guy by Ice Cube. Good evening. Police, do not attempt to adjust your radios. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control of this city as to bring you the special bulletin. And of course, The Roach by Dr. Dre, which, let's be honest, is really more of a Weird Al-esque parody than a sample. decided to pass up on that idea <laughs> were you reading off of my summer jam spotify playlist guilty as charged 
You strike me as a big Tone Loke fan, Ben. <laughs> yep. I think it's also worth noting that this is the official declaration of P-Funk as an idea. Like, it's not just Parliament Funkadelic. He coins the word P-Funk here as a collective entity. Um, and uh, uh, one thing, another thing I like here is that the chorus is the most famous part of the song, but more than half of it is kind of spent floating in space. Uh, fittingly enough for the concept of the album. Um, and Bernie Worrell's synths are kind of pierced through like cosmic radiation and Bootsy's bass mm. rumbles under the surface like dark matter or something. Uh, that's the way I see it. Um, by the way, while we're talking about Bootsy Collins, uh, I forgot to mention during the personal history section that technically my first interaction with P-Funk is Bootsy's appearance on Groove is in the Heart by D-Light, um, one of the best <laughs> songs of all time. My first interaction with Bootsy is when I tweeted at him and he replied and retweeted it, which was the best day of my life whoa wow <laughs> that would be the best day of my life yeah that is incredible so did you tweet at him about how much you love this song ben it was about uh how great his deceased brother was uh to his cat his brother was catfish and catfish played on some parliament albums and i was just saying hey your brother was great and well he agreed that is that is so cool yeah i wow. love that so if you were tweeting at Bootsy about this song, Ben, what would you say? Uh, well, I would start by talking about George Clinton, which I guess doesn't make sense. But uh, to me, George Clinton was always stronger when he was speaking than when he was singing. So I think this song is a really smart approach. I've always seen him as being a frustrated soul singer, uh, but he channeled his lack of musical training in just the right direction. And his monologue here is funny and inspired. Behind him, Bootsy is vamping way down low. Bernie is noodling and exploring in the background. His synthesizers are up top and his piano is back down on earth. And the horn charts are typically brilliant and likely they were written by Bernie. Uh, and there's some Morse code guitar off in the left channel. So there's a lot going on. It's not jazz, uh, but Randy Brecker does solo a bit, but it's got the freedom and unpredictability of jazz. And there's also this cavernous space in the middle of the mix that I think Miles Davis would definitely have, have been proud of. And then when the chorus comes in, as Mike says, it, damn, it is just, it's magnetic. And uh, I also love Bootsy's space farting bass and just the catchiness of the chant. It's an incredible chorus. So this is some inspired branding by George. Uh, and he's establishing or restating so much of the P-Funk mythology. Who cares if the radio station WEFUNK has six call letters? The, uh, the telecommunications regulations in space are just looser. <laughs> ben, I liked your comment there about the piano being down on the earth. Uh, I think like the mix on this album is is a huge part of it. If you listen to it on good headphones, like things just swirl all over the place, and it, yeah, it's very galactic. Like there's there's kind of there's a very galactic soundscape to this album that yeah again is very fitting. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I agree with you about how much space there is in the mix. Like for uh, an album with so many people on it and with so much going on, there's all the space, so it never. It never sounds crowded. It sounds really big. Well, as for me, seeing as how inexperienced I am with the genre, I'm not going to try to really analyze anything that's happening in this album. I'm just going to react to what I hear, uh, which means my comments are going to be more superficial than everybody else's. But I'm OK with that because these guys have got all the sharp, insightful analysis you could ever need. We're faking so it. <laughs> I talk a good game. You're spectacular fakers, <laughs> if that's the case. So my first superficial comment is this is my new favorite song. 
Ooh. It's it is good humored. It's entertaining, musically mind blowing, and it apparently has healing powers. <laughs> I absolutely love the instrumentation here, especially the keyboards and that ripply sax line that sounds like it was parachuted in from a different band altogether. And around the two and a half minute mark, and again around six and a half minutes, that super bloopy bass sound. It's just so interesting to me, and I honestly couldn't figure out if that was a bass guitar or a synthesizer, uh, but Mike, you very kindly explained that to me earlier, so I appreciate that. Uh, but whatever it is, I mean, it rolls. And you know, and then there's some good-natured shade thrown at the Doobie Brothers and David Bowie, which <laughs> I really enjoy, even though I like both of them. It's just, it's funny, and it, they're just, they're clearly just having a really good time with this. And when it ends after, what, seven and a half minutes, I am disappointed that it's not longer. Yeah, I think he was specifically throwing shade at the Doobies and David Bowie for songs like, you know, their own funk songs like uh, mm-hmm. like Fame and Long Train Running and things like that. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that quick remark about is something like, can you imagine some Doobie in your funk? <laughs> Which, if you're looking at the other meaning of Doobie, I absolutely can imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought that was a very, very clever <laughs> little throwaway. There, there was one famous incident that happened at a P-Funk concert where uh, George Clinton uh, asked the audience if anybody had a joint and marijuana just rained down on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> also, That's Amanda, amazing. super, super bloopy wins the podcast. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that was the only way I could think to describe that sound. All right. Well, after we've unfortunately run out of wants to get funked up, let's move on to the title track, Mothership Connection, Star Child. Well, all right. Star Child, citizens of the universe, recording angels. We have returned to claim the pyramid. Partying on the mothership. I am the Mothership Connection. Get down in 3D. Light year group. So here we get to the part of the album that uh, the bulk of said PhD dissertation would be likely based around. This is a dense track. It's filled with references to the pyramids and Easter Island and the Bermuda Triangle, uh, suggesting that the funk was not just brought here by aliens, but by ancient aliens. (laughs) Why have I never heard about this on the History Channel? Because it's not about Nazis. (laughs) <laughs> it's a vast right-wing conspiracy we should have gotten uh, we should have gotten that guy with the hair to be a, the, the special guest this time anyway around two minutes in what's that free your mind come fly with me it's hip on the mothership Yeah. 
That sounds an awful lot like a traditional spiritual. I'm starting to get the feeling that all this space business might be some kind of metaphor. Ah, <laughs> oh, you might be onto something. Yeah. A lot of George Clinton's work with Funkadelic deals with themes of transcendence and overcoming one's present circumstances and being free of the need to be free. But here he takes all those ideas and he builds a full-on myth around them. But to go further down that road would be to wade into some pretty deep water. So I'm just going to talk about how much fun this song is to listen to. It's so much fun. It really sounds like a big party going on in outer space with everybody bouncing around like they're in low gravity. I don't know how they managed to sound so tight and so weightless at the same time. It's really impressive. This song ended up serving as really the climax of their stage show, which was such a massive production that it had to be rehearsed in an airplane hangar. Uh, they added this extended section where Glenn Goines would go into total gospel preacher mode and get the audience all hyped up for the mothership. And then when the song reached its peak, the mothership would fly out over the audience and onto the stage and George Clinton would come out. There's video of it on YouTube. It's pretty great to watch. Uh, this song has been sampled some 62 times, including in Let Me Ride by Dr. Dre. Rolling in my six what everybody's saying. Regulate by Warren G and Nate Dog. She said my chords broke down and just sing real nice with you. Me I got a call full of girls. Ladies Night by Cool and the Gang. What? If you hear any noise, it's the boys and ladies night. Escapism by Diggable Planets. Tales of the Funky by Digital Underground. You're probably getting the idea. Ladies' night. Regulate also samples Michael McDonald. Speaking of the Doobie Brothers, <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole yacht rock episode about it. I keep forgetting they did that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Michael McDonald is everywhere. Every time you're near, every time I see well, if the previous song couldn't be longer, at least it slams right up against this one, which is just as cool. Uh, that that guitar keyboard bass combo in the riff is just killer. And I love how the horns are there just to dress it up a little bit more. And, the, of course, that wonderful interpol interpolation of the old gospel arrangement of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. I used to hear that a lot as a kid. It was on a record that my mom had. And, you know, especially when the Sweet Chariot is a freaking spaceship, it's just <laughs> extra cool. And there's always the point I, that I just love a song that makes it impossible for me to sit still while it's playing. And when it has such a blatant science fiction theme, that's just even better. This is just great. Yeah, learning how much George Clinton loves Star Trek really, really endeared me to P-Funk and this album. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, this is my favorite example on the album, personally, about how all the individual pieces of P-Funk are kind of like 
if you played them on the, on their own, they would sound awesome, but kind of clipped and fragmented. But they fit together here like kind of the interlocking parts of some sort of fourth dimensional puzzle or something. As you could hear from those clips, uh, the swing down section is so, so smooth that it created a whole smooth genre of hip hop. Uh, and that's, for the most part, on Bernie's synthesizers. Like, the part that sounds like it's just like, you know, dropping into a puddle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, the high squeaky synth, which, uh, you know, was, uh, was in every hip hop song in the early 90s. Yeah. Bernie invented that. I never heard Swing Low Sweet Chariot as a kid. We were more of a Hava Nagila family, but I, I definitely like it. Um, and I just want to say mid-70s Parliament is probably my favorite sound, just overall sound in popular music, because it's just so musical. There's all these amazing sounds weaving in and out of each other. They're pleasing to the ear, but they're never syrupy. They're loose and they're free, but they're never overly crazy or disorganized. And the playing is technically brilliant, but they never show off. It's always in service to the groove. George Clinton takes the spotlight because that's what he's always going to do. But he's a blast and he's always aware of what's going on beneath him. And he's careful not to overshadow it. The Parliament sound is definitely a group creation and it never occurred in a vacuum. Uh, There's a lot of people who contributed, but the writing credits suggest that Bernie and Bootsy, as Mike pointed out, were the primary instigators. And what I wouldn't do to go back in time and watch them build these grooves from the ground up and work out those indelible chants. On this track specifically, I love that insistent keyboard riff that anchors the whole thing so that everyone else is able to be free and do their thing. And as Mike pointed out in the beginning, a lot of credit for that goes to drummer Jerome Braley. He's relaxed, but he's purposeful, and he redefines what funk can be. This isn't a razor-sharp James Brown groove, but it's just a laid-back good time, and it's no less effective for it. And there's also two sections, but the transition between the two is so gentle and, as Rich said, smooth, smooth. that you're never, you're never jarred by it. So in sum, this, this is a great, great, great song. Yeah, one thing I forgot to mention about uh, Bootsy on this song is that on P-Funk Wants to Get Funked Up, it, like, you get that distinctive, like, gurgling Bootsy sound that he's famous for. But on this one, uh, I don't know, he, he stays really tightly to the riff. Uh, like, he's, he's good at being disciplined when the song needs it. All right, well, let's go on to the next part of the story, which is the unfunky UFO. The worst kind of UFO. <laughs> <laughs> So 
So I think that part of what makes Mothership Connection the most enjoyable Parliament album front to back for me is that after these two tracks of serious funk theory getting thrown at you, more of which might have just been overkill, the rest of the album is just given over to pure fun. Uh, This song keeps the sci-fi theme going, but it's more like a regular song than just the funk info dump that the first two tracks were. (laughs) And as you've probably already figured out, it tells the story of some desperately unfunky people who have apparently come from the sun. <laughs> and I thought it was only safe to go there at night. <laughs> but musically, it's, it's every bit as funky as that poor UFO is unfunky. And it also gives me some of the strongest evidence yet for my whole P-Funk is Prague argument. Like, am I out of my mind, or does that little counterpoint section about a minute in sound almost like a more grooving version of something Gentle Giant might have played. Also, how many funk songs do you know where the word counterpoint even applies? (laughs) Excellent point. This one, I like that Mike says it's a little less serious. It's tighter and it's a little less exploratory than the first two tracks. It's built around that one scratchy guitar riff that cycles over and over off in the right channel. And then Bernie crosses it with some lighthearted electric piano. Everybody's playing is as fantastic as ever. The vocals are fun, although they're a bit jarring and not always pleasant to listen to. So if I wanted to lend credence to Mike's theory, I could call them uh, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull-esque. I always like it when George sweetens things a bit with uh, kind of the female vocal chorus. Uh, Instead, they're going for hard-edged, but it doesn't quite mesh with the offbeat lyrics, and, and I don't think they hit the mark. But finally, we're from the sun. Seriously, the sun? Like, did anyone want to think that through a little bit further? I hope somebody got fired over that one. Yeah, well, I I think we take for granted how new the word funk was at the time and how much meaning P-Funk managed to squeeze out of this word. Like, it's just all over the place. And I I can't think of any music released since P-Funk that, like, evokes the whole concept of the genre that it's in as frequently as this music does. Like, imagine if, like, dubstep uh, mentioned itself (laughs) all the time. (laughs) ACDC comes close, but still no, no, really not that close. We salute you. I guess Andrew WK is kind of that way as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah spreading the gospel of partying. <laughs> but when it's not an ironic rock joke, uh, in this case, I think it speaks to how spiritual the music is underneath all the jokes and goofy noises. That there's a real, uh, I mean, there's a whole cosmology to P-Funk. I'll, uh, uh, there's a, I'll include a link to a great summation of it in the show notes, but... Like, this is the real deal. Like, this, th- I mean, it's funny, but, uh, but there's a real, like, spirituality underlying all of it. Anyway, so the bass and synths get all the attention on this album, largely from me so far in this episode. <laughs> uh, but this one also has some really great rhythm guitar and is a terrific, more traditional full band performance uh, in general compared with the rest of the album. Like, honestly, this is a much better argument for the Funkadelic song title, Who Says a Funk Band Can't Play Rock, than the actual mediocre Funkadelic song. <laughs> <laughs> And it's interesting that you said that, Rich, because I don't I I like this song, but I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than this sounds a little closer to straight rock to me than the other stuff on this album, Mm -hmm. which seems appropriate for a song about a funkless hell. (laughs) The only funk in hell is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, Mike, I can't pronounce the next song title, so you're going to have to take this one. Super Groovalistic Prosafunkstication. All right. side two of the album now and this is where parliament dispensed pretty much entirely with telling you about the funk and stick to just demonstrating it i can see how this might strike someone as kind of an underwritten song at first but i don't think so the groove is really the whole point here and what is a funk band for if not to come up with a killer groove and just let it ride for like five minutes there aren't very many lyrics but what few there are are just there to help push the groove along that big unison riff that comes in about a minute and a half that's one of my favorite moments on the whole album and it's probably the part of the album that gets stuck in my head the most it just grooves so hard but in this entirely frictionless slippery way i don't know how they do it probably has something to do with whatever super groovalistic prosafunkstication is <laughs> Probably. I think this one finally clicked with me today, actually, while I was listening to it earlier. Because, um, like, P-Funk seems really, really repetitive if you sort of, like, listen to the d- songs from a distance and squint a little bit. Uh, but the key, like, I found listening to this album is to zero in on a single player and follow them through the album. Sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure where you can never die. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> The the hook on this song is barely even there, honestly. Like, <laughs> but but somebody is always doing something interesting, like Bootsy's bass squeal that opens the song, like just right there at the beginning, or as usual, basically everything Bernie does at any given point. Oh, Bernie goes wild on this song too. Yeah, starting about a minute in, I think like he's he's just a blast to listen to. Yeah. Now, for me, one of the reasons I don't particularly like soul music is that it tends to be very repetitive. And I had this objection to a few of the songs on the Aretha Franklin album that we covered. They they feature the same sort of five or six note riff repeated over and over for three or four minutes. And that just tends to grate on my nerves. And I've noticed a similar pattern with a lot of funk music, which is probably why it didn't really appeal to me for a long time. And that's going on here, too. Only this repeated riff is much more engaging. And... This it would the, the give the people what they want bit repeated over and over is so great. And there's a lot of variety going on in between the repetitions, which helps me out a lot. I also really enjoy the final note on the the last note on that vocal line is not quite what you would expect. They go for just a little bit of dissonance. 
except, you know, toward the back half of the song when they ditch that and the melody gets a little bit more standard. And I enjoy that a lot because this band just does not ever go quite where you think they're going to. And it makes that repeated riff just so much more interesting and there's so much variety and it's just really, really awesome. It makes me think of uh, the song I Want to Tell You by The Beatles by George Harrison, where he just goes off into this weird dissonant chord at the yeah. end of the, of the Yeah, line. and that, that piano line where it sounds like he's hitting the wrong note over and over. Yeah. Yeah. So super groove of something. Uh, it, it's not brilliant, but it is run-of-the-mill great P-Funk. Um, everyone is just coasting at the top of their game. I like the complicated swinging keyboard riff that it's all based on. Um, Bernie really lets loose here even more than on the other songs. He just decides that his freeform synthesizer explorations, which have nothing to do with James Brown or Sly Stone or anyone who's come before, he just decides that they will now be a vital element of funk music. And so they were. Now, the bass line on this song is it's nimble, but it's also normal. And I'm guessing that instead of Bootsy, it is reserved P-Funk bassist Cardell Boogie Mawson, although I don't know that for sure. But he does a fine job on here. I can't hold it against him that he's not Bootsy because he's he's a good bassist on his own. Oh, that might have been Bootsy earlier on Mothership Connection. I'm not, I'm not if they had more than one bassist. I didn't do my research. But there's no, I don't think there's any documentation, and I don't think anyone was keeping track at the time. Yeah, P-Funk is a big mass of musicians. It's tough to tell who does what. Yeah. And uh, finally, whatever they're doing in this song with the percussion is awesome. I have no idea what they're doing. Um, and insights like that are why you keep coming back to Discord and Rhyme. Doot-doot-doot. That's what we're here for. Well, coming up, George is going to have to put his handcuffs on us. I do what I have to put my handcuffs on you, mama. Do I have to keep you under lock and key? Kind of pretend this isn't my least favorite song on the album, and I don't think too many people would disagree with me. And the the fact that it has nothing to do with the concept of the rest of the album leads me to suspect that it might have been a leftover from one of their earlier albums that they just decided to throw on here because they needed an extra song. Kinky I, I happenings do... on the mothership. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of wonder if it was meant to go on up for the downstroke because uh, that album cover has kind of a kind of a sadomasochistic thing going on. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I do enjoy it, and not just because of the sexism. See, see I'm playing against type here. <laughs> what, I, what I like the most about the song is, is how self-aware they are about how sexist it is. Uh, <laughs> my favorite line being, I don't care about looking like a chauvinistic kind of whatever. Uh, but if you look at the songwriting credits... 
you'll see somebody named Janet McLaughlin. A woman co-wrote this song. So now you don't know what to do. You know, I noticed that too. And the performance of the song, like the vocal take is over the top enough that I would be willing to hear an argument. This is all meant to be ironic. Maybe some kind of a satire. I don't know. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) if it's a joke, it's not funny. It's it's a solid groove, but you know when I made the mistake of paying attention to the lyrics, it all kind of fell apart for me. Because <laughs> I mean, lines like "If I have to keep you barefoot and pregnant" are not gonna make me love your song. Um, but I do enjoy the the bit about not caring about being a chauvinistic kind of whatever, because that shows how very seriously they take this issue. <laughs> I can't argue with any of that. The what I'll say is that we get off pretty easy on this album compared with Funkadelic who are much more uh randy and have songs like There is nothing before me but Thang and No Head No Backstage Pass. Well, they just don't want any headless people coming backstage. That seems reasonable to me. That's true. Yeah, those are scary. Oh wait, oh wait, I get it now. <laughs> So at first listen, Handcuffs definitely doesn't sound like a song for the Me Too era. Uh, But what's not known is that after singer Glenn Goines asked his partner all these questions, do I have to put my handcuffs on you, mama? Do I have to keep you under lock and key? She calmly answered no. And satisfied with her answer, Glenn took her to a reading of the feminine mystique at a local coffee shop where they were both profoundly moved. And that's why it's important to know the full context of a song before we make a judgment about it. Now, this this one is is pretty hard to excuse, and Glenn's vocals are also a little too squeaky for my tastes. For what it's worth, as you guys pointed out, there are different writers on this one. It's the only song on the album with no writing credit for Bootsy or Bernie, and so I'd like to think that they were both way too woke to attach themselves to this one. Um, It is a slow, nasty groove with clever horn charts, and I like the earthy Temptations harmonies in the background but it's still the low point on a great album because they, they could have changed the insanely regressive lyrics and they just didn't. All right. So we are done with that. So let's give up the funk and tear the roof off the sucker. Tear the roof off. We're going to tear the roof off the mother sucker. Tear the roof off the sucker. Tear the roof off. Hey, that's Ray Davis, who we heard back on Can You Get To That? <laughs> but not the same Ray Davis from the Kinks. <laughs> no, now that we know that, uh, that that's pronounced Ray Davis. song speaks of a yearning for that which is lost. Come on, do you honestly <laughs> expect me to do some kind of deep analysis of give up the funk? The song is made for one purpose, and it is to move your butt. If you're sitting there thinking about it, you're made upside down. 
One thing I do think is really interesting, though, is that the way it's put together, it's not the most correct word, but it's the, the best word I can think of is modular. Like, it has all these different little sections, but because there aren't really any chord changes or anything like that in the song, all those different themes and things that they come up with can be mixed and matched at will in all kinds of different combinations. So as repetitive as the song might sound at first, it also feels like it could conceivably go on forever. And that's really, that ended up being kind of the wave of the future. Like Talking Heads took more or less the same approach on Remain in Light and pretty much all loop-based composition from the 90s and later is based on the same general process. They're they're working with loops here, basically. Not literally, but in the way it's constructed, I think. And speaking of loops, this song has been sampled 53 times, including in Turn This Mother Out by MC Hammer. Godfather of Funk by Schooly D. Tear it off by Method Man and Red Man. What you waiting for by the Jungle Brothers? So if you wanna be a little disco I came here tonight too. So good morning, good afternoon. Trespass by Ice T and Ice Cube. Not Genesis. Not Genesis. <laughs> And Who Am I, What's My Name by Snoop Doggy Dog, where it's oddly interpolated in a minor key. Yeah, I strangely never even noticed that one until now. Uh, What's My Name is really just a tapestry of P-Funk samples, more so than any other G-Funk song. Yeah, I think it samples uh, all of them, all the (laughs) P-Funk songs. Yeah, he didn't leave out any. So the first time I listened to this album straight through, I got to this and was so relieved to come to a song that I knew. Uh, It made me feel just slightly less dorky. And I've always liked this one because, come on now, who doesn't? Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to explain why even. I Just go listen to the song. It's (laughs) great. (laughs) Go listen to it and you'll see why it's awesome. In particular, though, the way the bass is almost but not quite in sync with the vocals in the We Need the Funk part just gives it that little extra texture that's super interesting because, I mean, this band is so tight, except when they're not. And even when they're not, it's very, very deliberate. There is not a single note anywhere that's not exactly where it was intended to be. And the whole song, and really the whole album, has a loose but tight feel that is just super impressive and engaging. And, of course, more super awesome synths on here, too. This one, it's a fantastic marriage of P-Funk's intensely creative music and then George Clinton's sharp pop instincts. And the rhythm section just kicks so hard on here. Amanda, what did you call it? Loose but... What did you, what did you call it? Loose but tight. Loose but tight. I thought I think that's really good. Jerome Braley on drums proves that he can be hard-edged as well as laid back, and by the end, his drums are tight and wicked. And George Clinton's chanted choruses, which he fills with female vocals, are just incredibly catchy. 
I love the dynamics of the chanted chorus. I mean, anyone can chant, but this one has a gravitational pull to it when they just bust out with, we want the funk. I know that doesn't sound like it, but Mike, is there any kind of musical term for that when you were just yanked in a particular direction by, by the music? I would like to know if there is, because I think there should be. Okay. <laughs> um, the chorus just punches you in the face in the best possible way. Uh, it is a great radio track that doesn't sacrifice anything in musicality. Yeah, to go back to what Mike was saying about uh, the song being really modular, uh, I don't like to advertise when we look things up on Wikipedia, but man, the entry for this song really goes above and beyond. <laughs> like, it, it analyzes this how the song is in jazz form, basically, like different sections moving around and like a, a, as a platform for different motifs. Um, and in that context, my favorite bit... Um, in the song is right in the middle where the horn section is just kind of like ominously droning in, in the right channel uh, while the rest of the song is going on as normal but like this drone provides an unresolved tension that completely changes the feel of the song and then when the drone goes away and like you know the bass reasserts itself it's just so satisfying It's just a really cool like way of like you know playing around with a bunch of like with a few seemingly simple elements. And I just want to add when they go, "Let us in, we'll turn this mother out." I, I'm pretty sure that's counterpoint to the main melody, if I'm getting that right. And it's it's just so good; it just adds another level to the song. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, yeah. So that song rules. I think is where we've landed on that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. So let's head into the night of the Thumpasaurus peoples. Naturally. Where else would we go? (laughs) Now, is Thumpasaurus spelled with an O on purpose, or were they just bad at spelling? I don't know. It's hard to tell. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I would accept either argument. That sounds exactly like this song. Anytime. (laughs) Not gonna lie, a big part of what attracted me to this album was that there was a song on it called Night of the Thumposaurus Peoples. (laughs) Now, the Thumposaurus Peoples and their role in the greater P-Funk mythology would be explained on later Parliament albums, But this song doesn't require you to know any of that because there aren't really very many words to it besides Gaga Googa. So true to the title, this song is dominated by Bootsy Collins bass, which has this really great extra little bit of grit on it It, that uh, makes it sound really growly. It's a a really great sound. And also by Bernie Worrell, who seems to have the flatulence knob on one of his keyboards turned all the way up. (laughs) Do you have a flatulence knob on your keyboard? Well, the flatulence circuit on the Arp Odyssey is a little different from the one on the Mini Moog, so it's really more of a flatulence slider. (laughs) 
So now that we're at the end of the album, uh, did you notice anything unusual about the songs on here as a whole? There aren't any ballads. Oh. It's nothing but funk songs all the way through. And as far as I know, no funk album had ever attempted anything like that before. Like, usually you had to, you had to have at least one ballad because you were trying to, like, you had to make some, like, commercial capitulations. But this album... Now, wait a second. Yeah. Are you trying to tell me that Handcuffs is not a ballad? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Even James Brown was a crooner at heart, at least at least partly. Oh, so yeah. He would always include those. Yeah, and, and all of uh, Parliament and, and Funkadelic albums up to this point had at least... Uh, had at least one uh, slower ballady type song. Sometimes, sometimes they took up like half the album. But uh, it, you know, th- there are some bands. I'm not. I have nothing against ballads. There are bands that really excel at balladry, like the Moody Blues, for example. Very, very true. <laughs> uh, but Parliament and Funkadelic, they, that was never their strong suit. Really, they had some nice ones, but uh, overall, it was not uh, one of the things they did best. Well, there's more baffling sound effects here, including that one that Mike mentioned that sounds like a very musical fart, which is, you know, it's there. It's interesting. It <laughs> kind of makes me laugh because this is just this is a weird song, you guys. <laughs> but it is an extremely solid piece of evidence for the Parliament is Prague argument, which I totally buy. Mm. And in my opinion, it's probably the strongest piece of evidence for that ar- for that argument on this album. I know I turn every album into a movie, but this is sort of the closing credits music. Uh, and to me, I always sort of pictured the farting as this like Jetsons hovercraft speeding across the sky. But of, <laughs> but of course, since P-Funk have a lot more imagination than I do, it's actually space dinosaurs. <laughs> Aw. Well, duh. <laughs> yeah, great closer. I mean, I, I, I never really thought about it before revisiting it uh, for this episode, but I mean, I, I like farting. <laughs> <laughs> These are much more satisfying fart noises than we heard in uh, on Maggot Brain. <laughs> Mike, I like growly as an adjective for, for Bootsy's bass tone here. That was good. Uh, so everyone just goes crazy on the last song. But thankfully for someone as, as uptight as me, it is controlled craziness. And they never completely lose the plot, whatever the plot might happen to be. Um, there are Parliament songs from this era that are more complex than this one, more clever, funnier, and more radio catchy. But to me, Night of the Thumpasaurus Peoples is the purest expression of the collaboration between Bootsy and Bernie. Uh, it's their id, their, their pure id expressed musically. Two brilliant guys just went into a trance, and this is what resulted, and it's incredible. George Clinton, as usual, recognized something great going on in front of him, and he swooped in and topped it off perfectly with brilliantly catchy chants and a full vocal arrangement. Also, as usual, he grabbed partial songwriting credit. Maybe he wrote the gaz and Bernie wrote the goos. Who knows? Uh, but all in all, this is, this is a perfect album closer for a great album. Now, Mike, I am very, very curious. Can you give us a brief bio of the Thumposaurus peoples? <laughs> uh, as I understand it, this is this is laid out on uh, later Parliament albums that I'm not as familiar with. But as I understand it, the the Thumposaurus peoples and the Cronasal Sapiens originally lived side by side and were united by the funk. And uh, eventually, uh, the Cronasal Sapiens lost the funk as the world was taken over by by unfunky dictators. And the Thumposaurus uh. peoples <laughs> were the ones who preserved the funk. 
and kept it alive. Well, that makes sense. This is what the whole theory of evolution is based around, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We learned it's in all the science textbooks in your schools, guys. So, Mike, what are your final thoughts on this album? If everyone in the world listened to this album at the same time, there would be world peace. That's awesome. Can't argue with that. Well, let's get on with distributing it then. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, this is an amazing album, and I'm glad uh, we've established that P-Funk, and therefore hip-hop and everything that follows, is the actual new frontier for Prague. Now, how do we get P-Funk listed on Prague archives? That is the question. All right, so all of our listeners, we're going to need you guys to distribute this episode far and wide in our efforts to promote world peace, okay? This is all on you. And also, this album is just really great, and I love it, and I'm glad you guys tapped me in, even though I was kind of hesitant at first. And fortunately, the one song that I'm not in love with is also the shortest, and I'm not really missing anything by skipping it. So, (laughs) yeah, this this is great. So I'd say that Mothership Connection is the height of P-Funk, except uh, another later Parliament album is even better, and I'll get to that in a minute. But Mothership is a strong number two. Um, If I had to nitpick, I'd say that the three songs in the middle, including Amanda's favorite, Handcuffs, aren't as brilliant as the beginning and ending of the album. But that would be a tough standard for any song to live up to. It's, It's brilliant through and through. It's innovative, danceable, and absurdly catchy. It's also funky, but I want to point out again that this wasn't funk music until Parliament decided that it was. Funk music, to the extent that it was anything in the mid-70s, was tight, hard, serious, maybe even a little bit political. And George and Bootsy and Bernie just exploded the idea of what funk could be. And from then on, this is what it was. Their conception of funk music has survived since then. It's even survived the Red Hot Chili Peppers attempt to strangle it back to to one repetitive beat that goes something, 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 California. I know I stole that from Rich, but but that is that is great. Um, And finally, I want to be sympathetic to people like me back in college who, who wanted to love this music, but needed some time to decipher it and to sort out all the crazy sounds. Uh, So if it takes you some time to love Parliament and Mothership Connection, that's fine. But definitely start trying. Well, we did not make friends with Lenny Kravitz in the Funkadelic episode. (laughs) We are not making friends with the Red Hot Chili Peppers in this one. That's okay. (laughs) We're not here to make friends. (laughs) That's right. All right. Well, if anybody in our audience is a doofus noob like myself and they want to learn more about the parliament funkadelic thing where should they go next well if you're interested in getting deeper into the whole p-funk universe the obvious thing to do would be to just continue in order through their next three albums the the clones of dr funkenstein funkentelecky versus the placebo syndrome and motor booty affair i don't think they're quite as good as mothership connection but there's plenty of good music on all of them and they're all worth listening to after that the quality starts to drop off a bit They just put out a new album in 2018, their first in 38 years. It's called Medicaid Fraud Dog. It's an almost two-hour concept album about the evils of the pharmaceutical industry. And it's not very good. (laughs) See, it's Prague. (laughs) (laughs) Whose side are you on, Amanda? (laughs) (laughs) I go where I'm needed. Funkadelic also released an album in 2014 that was about three and a half hours long. I can't imagine that it's wow. that great either, but uh, I'll give yeah. George Clinton the benefit of the doubt. It has a song on it called Dippity Dippity Do Stop the Violence. So. <laughs> 
I do want to just say here that these guys are the best in the whole world at naming things. <laughs> they are. <laughs> these are the best titles I've ever heard. I concur with Mike that Mothership Connection and the next three Parliament albums are worth getting. Um, my personal favorite is Motor Booty Affair from 1978, which uh, asks the question, what if P-Funk went under the sea? Similar vein, actually. Yeah, this is jumping over to Funkadelic, but I also really like Uncle Jam Wants You, which is basically a Parliament album without horns. Uh, and if you're a listener of a certain age, uh, you probably know the song Not Just Knee Deep through uh, its sample in De La Soul's Me, Myself, and I. like what you said about them naming things. I, mean, I goof a lot on George Clinton because he's not particularly musical, uh, but he also recognizes his limitations and he's just fantastically inventive and he's been for, for decades. Uh, everything he touches is fun. Uh, even Big Pharma, I guess. <laughs> um, so if you like Mothership Connection, I think you'd also like their 1977 album Funkatelicky versus the Placebo Syndrome, which Mike mentioned. Uh, it's two albums along. The minor poppier songs are better constructed than the ones on Mothership Connection. And the two big set pieces are each 10 minutes long and they build on the innovations from this album. Somehow they're funkier, looser, catchier, and more clever. And the album closes with Flashlight, which can compete with Give Up the Funk and Atomic Dog for P-Funk's best radio jam. So go and check that one out. say that despite my ignorance of Parliament and Funkadelic's music, I was, of course, aware of George Clinton and Bootsy Collins, just, you know, because I'm alive. But <laughs> the first place I saw Bootsy Collins was in a documentary, and I cannot remember what song he was singing, but I remember perfectly what he looked like when he was doing it. That guy <laughs> is a hell of a performer. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Is there any chance that was standing in the shadows of Motown? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. All I can remember is it wasn't 20 feet from stardom, which was also very good, but that was about different people. <laughs> I saw Bootsy in um, 
a couple years ago at B.B. King's in Times Square. He puts on a great show, and he even had Professor Cornell West come up and sing and dance a little bit. So yeah. it was pretty out there. And and who could forget George Clinton's immortal appearance in How I Met Your Mother? Yeah. <laughs> Seducing Lily. Yeah. And of course, Bernie Worrell is a significant part of why Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads is such an awesome movie. Very true. Okay, well, that's all we have for you with the Mothership Connection. Join us next time when Prague John is going to be back with Exotic Birds and Fruit, an album you have never heard of by Procol Harum of A Wider Shade of Pale fame. Believe it or not, they have other songs besides A Wider Shade of Pale. <laughs> yeah, we, we scheduled this episode before we knew that P-Funk was Prague, so sorry for all the Prague episodes in a row, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> we're going to shove prog rock absolutely everywhere, whether it's appropriate or not. It's just extra cool when it really fits. Thank you for listening to Discord and Rhyme. You can buy or stream Mothership Connection and other albums by Parliament and, let's be honest, Funkadelic, at your local Sam Goody, as well as the usual suspects such as Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and Amazon. But if you buy the album through the Amazon affiliate link on our website, discordpod.com, you will get a really great album and support our podcast while you're doing it. Also, check out discordpod.com for show notes and a preview of upcoming albums. Follow Discord and Rhyme on Twitter at DiscordPod for news and updates, which I highly encourage you to do because we're very, very close to getting 100 followers, and that is going to make my day. So please go follow us on Twitter. Follow Rich at Zone Trope. I am at Magnetic Inc. 67. Ben is at Benjamin M1019. And Mike is not on Twitter because it was a funkless hell. You can check out Ben's solo podcast detours wherever fine podcasts are streamed. And you can also read his book, All the Days of His Life, listening to David Bowie song by song on Amazon. And I rate David Bowie uh, slightly higher than George Clinton does, uh, where he gives David a 3 out of 10 for funkiness. Very special thanks to our own Mike DeFabio, the other leading brand, for producing and hosting this episode. We will see you next album, and be ever wonderful. Earth, hot air, and no fire. <laughs> well, all right! <laughs>